0: Lot of other different things. So even though that I asked Christ to come into my life at a young age, I didn't know how to essentially, essentially practice it and um, be really conducive and credible in my walk with Christ. So therefore, I had a lot of relationships that I had established that were fake and phony, and I knew how to act very well because of what I was taught through unhealthy relationships. One of the turning points for me was when um, I had my child, um, Kiana. This child showed me some things and helped me to understand relationship and commitment in a different way. I can say that although she was in my life, um, I didn't make all the changes necessary that I needed to. Um, So I remember driving my car in West Peoria and having um, an unforeseen amount of weed on me and gun. money, and um, the police officer pulled me over, and um, he found the content, and uh, I sat in the back of his car, and he was like, how does it feel to know that you might be facing five to ten years in prison? And I just immediately started to break and cry because I knew my child would be absent from her father if that was the case. Um, at that moment, I knew that it was time to make drastic changes, so I really began to look at relationships different. And how my relationship with my business, illegal business and practice, could most definitely alter my relationship with my daughter and my family. And so therefore, I wanted change in my life. And I already knew who God was, but I wasn't practicing. So I would say at that time, I began to practice and do what I needed to do. Um, So going through the work history, I worked a plethora of different places and um, my last two stops before here was, one was Southside Mission, the other one is here where I am currently, Drinks in a Peoria, um, and this is where I really began to open up and I became comfortable with people that I was around and serving with, and I learned what real relationship is. Real relationship is being able to have somebody that you can talk to, somebody that will hold you accountable. Pastor John, several different times in the back parking lot, he caught me. And I remember the first instance, he was just like, Rob, I was just praying for you and I was lifting you up. And he said, I believe God put it in my spirit. And I know he did that. He just wants you to be at a place where you can grow and you can learn. And he wants you to be a comic for. And that's where he, he said, I don't care if it's here, if it's there, wherever it is. I just want you to be a comic. And so that was like one little punch to my heart. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, okay, man. Because I had never had a pastor come to me in that way. Most pastors would come and they wanted, they had an agenda um, and they wanted me to be there. So I appreciate Pastor John. I appreciate his ministry. I love the church. I am now a member of the church and I compel and I encourage people. If you don't have a church home, if you're looking and if you really need that spiritual father and guidance, Pastor King is an awesome man to follow. And I don't follow any, just anybody certain things you have to have, and I'm thankful that he has those things that I can't follow. So I love you, God bless you, and thank you.
1: Good morning. For those of you who came uh, expecting to hear John King... Um, we have a little bait-and-switch going this morning. Uh, John is in, um, in Nashville visiting his son, Andy. Uh, he was watching online for first service, um, but uh, he's uh, in church right now, so I guess we can do whatever we want. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, as Joe said, my name is Stan Gallett. Um I'm one of the elders, which proves they'll let anybody in. Um, if, you, uh, if you feel like you might be in the wrong place, you're in the right place. Um, we're a, um, a group of people uh, gathered and committed to uh, sharing Jesus um, in places where other people don't want to. And uh, it's, uh, it's an honor to have you here. And um, I'd like to open this morning with prayer if we could. Father, I thank you so much that you've promised that you would be with us where we gather together in your name. And we do gather in the name of Jesus this morning. And I just ask um, that as these people have come to hear a word from you, Lord, that you would do the thing that you do and speak uh, through an empty vessel, a jar of clay, Lord. Um, And we do carry a treasure around with us. And yet, Lord, all the glory goes to you. We know that you are the author and the perfecter of all things, including our faith. And we thank you for your faithfulness in meeting us right where we are. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, like the video that you saw of Robbie, I also was a church kid. But my my experience was a little bit different than his. Um, I was surrounded by people. Uh, that were righteous. Um, I didn't see a lot of hypocrisy in the people that were around me. As a matter of fact, I saw a lot of, uh, a lot of um, who I believed Jesus to be in them. Um, when I look at myself, I did not see that. Um, and when I look at myself, I did not see a lot of ability to do that. Um, but nonetheless, it didn't stop us from going to church. We went to church a lot. Uh, we went to church on Wednesday night. We went to youth group on Saturdays, Sundays, we went for Bible class, we went for morning church, we ate lunch at church, and then we had afternoon church, just in case morning church wasn't enough, then we went home, and from 2 to about 5, you were on your own, but then there was potluck and evening church, Um, lather, rinse, repeat every week for my entire youth, and for vacation, in the summertime, we would go to church camp. Um, Church camp consisted of uh, morning devotions, uh, morning assembly, there were classes, there were forums, there were evening services, there were campfire services, and if you were still inclined, we had something that you could only have in the 70s called (laughs) singspiration. And we would do that for seven days. My grandfather was a lay pastor, an elder, and a bishop in the church. My dad was a Sunday school teacher, a youth group leader, and the secretary treasurer for our little denomination. Suffice it to say, I knew church. I knew church and I knew church people. My, mar- my life was marked by seeing my own sinfulness and Asking for forgiveness and help from God to get right. You see, from the time I was little, um, I was convicted. I was convicted of my sin. I knew that I was sinful. And I knew that I was unable to do anything about it. That there was a chasm that I couldn't cross, that only Jesus could bridge for me. And I wanted that. I wanted that forgiveness. I wanted to be made right. And I asked for it. We didn't have many altar calls in the church where I grew up. But every time there was one, I was convicted of my sin, and I asked Jesus to forgive me. Every time I'd resolve to do better, to fly right and to stay straight. And every time I'd fall on my face, and I'd spit and fight and cuss my way right out of righteous living. I was getting tired of it. By the time I was a teenager in high school, I was pretty tired of it. It seemed to be working for other people, but it wasn't really working very well for me. I went to church camp with my parents, like we did every year, in the summer of 1979. That's a long time ago. It's 37 years ago. But there I was at church camp again on Thursday night. I'd made it through the entire week. I'd been trying all week to get the attention of the Ohio girls, who didn't really know me all that well, and so therefore didn't know to stay away, Um, but I really wasn't having much success. Football practice was starting in a couple of weeks, and I was thinking about what I needed to do when I got home, and I was in an evening service not much different than the hundreds of other services that I had been in, my whole life. And I was sitting in the back corner, right about there, thinking about pretty much everything but what was being said. And what happens next was only made clear to me much, much later in my life. In Colossians one twenty-six, Paul says that there is a mystery hidden since the foundation of the world and it's only now revealed. And it's this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Keep that in the back of your mind if you would, okay? Christ in you, the hope of glory. For most of my life, for most of my Christian life, at least the first 20 years of it, I would have recounted the story of what happened next that night like this you know there was a sermon and I I was convicted and in my seat I made a choice that I was going to respond I made the choice I went forward and I went and I was prayed for and I asked Jesus again to come into my heart I left the service believing that nothing was going to be any different I went down to the lake and there were a group of guys that found me and prayed for me. And we sweated together in prayer for what seemed like about an hour. And it probably was at least half an hour. Okay? And something happened there. Something happened there. And I felt a burden lift from me. And I knew that it was different because I felt like I was enabled. I felt like I was enabled to do this thing. And there was a a line of demarcation there that was different than anything that had ever happened to me before. And yet, it was still quite dependent on me. Quite dependent on me. I had just enough, this is the way I would have recounted it, just enough of the Holy Spirit to empower me to live a righteous life If I'd meet God halfway, if I'd give it my all, he'd empower me to do the rest. But I knew in the bottom of my heart that it was going to be a long, slow, bloody slog. Not much different than trench warfare, and it was going to take courage and resolve to win, and I was pretty good with that because I was 15 years old, busting at the seams, strong background. I had everything to draw on, and I was ready to go. I was ready to go, and I was going to go. I came back home not quite as ready to go as I was at church camp but that's how the next 20 years of my life would play out. I did the stuff. I did the right stuff. I did the hard stuff. My favorite verse in the whole Bible was the kingdom of God is advancing forcefully and forceful men are laying hold of it. I just love that because it really it really spoke to type A people who really want to get it done. We just want to get it done. For Jesus, and we're willing to dig down really deep to do whatever it takes to get her done. You know what? That's a long, bloody slog. Because you know when you start out like that, you're all full of it, and you're so full of yourself, and you're so strong, you're so strong and mighty, and all jacked up because you've been there and you've seen things and whatever. But, you know, it gets pretty hard a little bit later on when there's no singspiration you know, when nothing's really happening and everybody in the locker room is looking at you like you're a Jesus freak. And you just kind of tone it down a bit. I didn't do that. I became a student of the Bible and I applied all of that pent up energy drive type A garbage to becoming a student of the word I applied all my energy to being obedient to the word I would obey I would obey and I became a a teacher, and a sometimes preacher. I could go on and on and on about how far down this road I went, but it's probably more instructive to say that there there were a lot of people like me in the parables, the parables that Jesus spoke. And, And the people like me in these parables, they were not necessarily the good guys in the parables, okay? The older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, who wouldn't celebrate his brother's homecoming because his brother was a moron and his dad was a softy, a senile old man who was soft on crime. (laughs) The fool in the parable of the talents who buries his talent in the backyard for fear of the master because he's a hard man reaping where he hasn't sown. The worker who bore the heat of the day. And resented those who came along at the 11th hour, slacking, leaning on their shovel, and got the same pay. I was that dude, okay? I did not like that. I did not like these 11 hour Johnny come lately, lazy so and so's coming in and getting the same thing that I was getting. And so I found myself in this really weird netherworld, okay? Of, of religiosity, okay. A form of godliness, but denying its power. All right. I'd like you to keep that in your mind, the back of your mind too. I read about all the fruits of the Holy Spirit because I really did. I wanted to know the Word and I wanted to live it out. And as as kind of an aside, I I. Really, I We believe here in in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three personages. We gave lip service to that, where I was, but in my own heart, what I believed was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Book. Now, I'm I'm not going to discount the Word of God in any way but what I am going to say is what I was looking for could only be provided by God's Holy Spirit. And I was looking for it in the word and in obedience, because it was coming out of my own strength. I wanted it to come out of my own strength. But there were this stuff in the Word, this word that I loved, this word that I was mining out, fruits of the Holy Spirit fruits of the holy spirit like love and joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self control and when i was honest and i looked at myself i realized that i had no peace no joy no gentleness and the patience and suff- patience and kindness were a real stretch for me self control was something i thought i had But it was a fake. I was obedient, but it was killing me. It was a bit like being shot out of a cannon. You know, those old school videos or old school movies where, you know, somebody's loaded the human cannonball, and he's loaded into this cannon, and they're shot, and he's flying. Yay, I'm fleeing until gravity takes over, and down he comes, And if everything goes right, he lands in a net. And that was me, only there was no net. And I realized that I had been propelled for many, many years on an experience that was growing stale and old. And it was not for lack of effort. It was not for lack of trying. I'd done things that seemed like they were impossible from the outside, but it was not from a well of living water bubbling up inside of me. It was pretty much just force of will. I was beaten, and I was tired, and I was dying. And from the outside, you couldn't tell any difference. I was a successful, righteous man in the community On the inside, this was old news. It was not the good news. We talk about the gospel, gospel means good news. This was not good news. This was bad news. This was God tying up a load for me and saying, There it is, carry it. That was bad news. And I'm here to tell you that that's not the gospel. That's not what we are preaching. That's not what we preach this morning. It's not what we preach any morning. We are not here to tie up loads for you. We're here to lay those loads down. Okay? I knew that something was broken inside of me because the very scripture that I loved was pointing out that whatever I had going on, it didn't look like what I was reading because I'd read stuff like this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's in Matthew 11. There was one thing I knew for sure, and that was that there was nothing easy about this so whatever i had going on it wasn't what jesus was talking about now i had every confidence that what i had been taught about repentance and regeneration what had happened to me at the foot of the cross had made me new inside it had saved me but it did not give me power for living there was there was no power for living in what it was that i had my head wrapped around the burdens weren't there were two there were two options that i found that as i as i considered this thing this thing about the the easy yoke and the easy burden there were only two possible explanations for this in my in my own consideration one was that the burdens that 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 i the burdens weren't from the lord and i should just put them down and that would be a give up Sort of thing. Anything goes. Whatever you want to do. He didn't really mean any of this stuff. You know, it's just it's it's kind of a come as you are, stay as you are, happy, happy happy-go-lucky. Isn't it lucky that Jesus loves us enough to turn a blind eye? You know, that's that's by the way what no small part of the church has decided that that none of this stuff really matters really because God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life, okay? I knew that that wasn't the case because when I look at what Jesus actually said, he's pretty clear about a lot of really, really hard stuff. Things like, things like being sexually pure and faithful and staying married and, and, and putting others ahead of myself. And loving my enemies, stuff stuff that, that is by no definition easy. So it couldn't be that he didn't care, because he clearly did. And the only other option was that I was I was never meant to carry the burdens. And this sounded just crazy to me. And it sounded like doublespeak. Just crazy and impossible. And yet, when I started to turn my efforts away from trying to help God or impress God and just turn to trusting God to work something out in me, I stopped thinking that I was responsible for the outcome And just began to leave it to God. And that little spark, that little change, just change in outlook, change in perspective, lit a fire. All of the angst and desiring to be significant, it was killing me. We sing... We sing a song here called, He Makes Me Brave. He makes me brave. There's a huge chasm between he makes me brave and I'm brave. I'm brave. You know what? I'm not brave, and I know it, okay? And when I try to muster it up, it's kind of this false, it's this false courage, this bravado, it's bragging. But when I can admit that I'm afraid, I'm afraid, but he is bigger than my fear, then I can give it to him. And I can step forward into whatever it is that he has for me. I don't have to cover myself six ways from Sunday because he's got me. He's got this thing, and he's not going to let me fall. There's a huge difference. A huge difference. It's giving in. It's not giving up, it's giving in. And that's the key. By now you've figured out that I'm not a pastor, all right? That's pretty, It should be pretty clear to you. Uh, I'm a pipe fitter. Um, I work on large commercial refrigeration equipment in supermarkets. Um, in the mechanical rooms of these supermarkets, there's There's big pieces of machinery called compressors. And they drive refrigerant around, and they keep food cold. And I work on this stuff. Um, These compressors have safety switches on them to protect them. And some of the safeties have a reset button on them. Like that. When one of these safeties trip, the compressor and everything else shuts off until that button gets pushed, where it says push to reset, there's nothing happening until that button gets pushed. The idea is that if you need to reset the safety, there's a problem, and you'll need to look for it and correct it. Okay? But what often happens in my world is that a safety will trip. And some well-intentioned but a little bit ignorant (laughs) store worker will go up to the compressor room, find the compressor not running, and start pushing all the resets. Push them all. There's a button. I'll push it. And it starts. And it's fixed. And it runs. And it's awesome. Except that whatever was a problem is still a problem. It's running, yeah. But whatever's broken on that thing is still broken. Whatever's dirty and caused that safety to trip, it's still dirty. And what happens is, you push that button enough, you just keep going up and you keep pushing that button, you push that button enough, and you're going to grind that compressor into powder. It's a very expensive thing, okay? It's a very expensive thing. And you just keep doing that, and you're not fixing anything, you're just pushing, pushing, pushing on the button. Nothing's fixed. Hey, hey compressor's running, I'm good to go. I did that. When I was a kid, I did that all the time. I was the professional altar call respondent, right? Pastor would issue a call for repentance. I would go up. I would push the button, and that was it. And my impression of things was was, it's fixed. It's good. It's good to go. We're good to go. And I believe that I was forgiven, but I also believe that there was a work that needed to be done in me that wasn't getting done. It wasn't getting done because... I was doing all the work. I was here to do all the work. And you know what? When somebody pushes that reset button up in that compressor room, it takes a crazy amount of electricity to drive that compressor. Lots of power has to go into that thing for it to to do its job. Lots more power than if we would just fix what the problem was. And that's kind of the way it is with me too, when I would come when i come before God and I'd say, you know what? I'm I'm broken, I need fixed. Thank you for fixing me. Thank you for pushing my button. I got it from here, and it just took an unbelievable amount of my power to get anything done. And you know what? The food got warm. The food got warm. Everything works great on that compressor until, until it doesn't. Day, day gets hot, load goes up a little bit. At that point, the compressor either trips to safety again, quits altogether, or burns out. I've been around church my whole life. I've seen people that push that button. And that's how I found myself chugging, Along, working really, really hard. Broken stuff in my life, still broken stuff in my life. Running, barely. Working hard. Power, a lot of it. I'm here to tell you. Maybe you're like me. I don't know. There's very few people that are this nuts. I was very fortunate to find someone who would marry me and look past all of that. (laughs) God bless you, Jeannie. You know, but the reality of it is, the reality of it is that no matter how hard nose you are, no matter how hard you work, and believe me, I, I have worked pretty hard, okay? No matter how hard you work, you get tired. You get old. I have five bad discs in my back. Five. I'm an old, broken-down pipe fitter at 53 years old. I have worked really hard in my life. No matter how hard you're working, and no matter how fun it is, you'll get old. you get old, and you get tired. Woe to you, woe, woe to you, if that's you spiritually. I, you know, I once uh, worked at a country supermarket. It had a compressor that I could hear from the parking lot. I could be sitting in my truck, and I could hear the compressor running. sounded like a jackhammer when it started, and it and it got worse as it ran. It was loud enough that the neighbors complained. I was sitting in the office one time with the owner, and the compressor started, and we could hear it. We could hear it in the office, and it it was loud enough that we had to raise our voices. And I said, you know, that thing's going to die. And he said, well, we'll see. And it ran like that for years, years, hammering away loud and proud I have no idea how much extra electricity that thing used, but it was, it was, it was an amazing thing. It, it was impressive in its own way, just like what we're going to show on the video is impressive in its own way. Two minutes, I promise it's worth your time. Impressive washing machine. That is impressive tenacity right there. But you know what? That's not the way washing machines are meant to work. My life was not running the way that it was meant to run. But praise God, this is a series called Comeback, yeah? Come on now. This is a series called Comeback, and this is about coming back, all right? There was a, there was, this is not a new problem for what it's worth. Maybe it's not your problem, but maybe it is, because this is something that's been in us since the beginning of Christendom. 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote a, a letter to a bunch of hard-driving type A people like me, ironically enough, in a place called Galatia. My name is Stan Gallat. These were the Galatians. It's even spelled the same way. It's kind of eerie. And he said this. You crazy Galatians? Did somebody put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this question to you How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God, or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect? Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? It's not yet a total loss, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. If you don't take anything else away from this, there's one thing I'd like you to take away from this, and it's not a wash machine. If you weren't strong enough or smart enough to begin it, how do you suppose That you could perfect it. Paul was writing this letter to a group of Christians who were trying really, really, really hard to please God, and they were rattling apart. The Lord opened my eyes about this time to what had really happened, not Thursday night in 1979. And it was a lot different than what I thought had happened. Because my way of telling it, up until that point, it always had me at the center of it. Always. I was at the center of it. I was there. I chose. I decided. I came forward. I prayed. Things happened. God inhabited it, but, you know, it was me doing all this stuff. And let me tell you how it really happened. Because you know enough about me to know where I was at that point. I was sitting in that back corner, and I was thinking about everything else. Okay? It was a sermon, pretty much like every other sermon that I'd ever heard preached until that point, and there had been hundreds of them, hundreds of them. It was not even a particularly good sermon, probably a lot like this one, not particularly good. Okay? But I was back there, and I was sucked out of my seat. I was pulled forward. I did not want to go. I, didn't want, I distinctly remember not wanting to come to the front of the church. There was a man there waiting for me, and he was creepy, and I did not like him, okay? I didn't like him even as I was coming forward, and he prayed for me, and something happened inside of me, but whatever it was, it was not enough, Okay, And I knew that this was going to be the same, more of the same, and yet it was really different because I was not responding out of, out, out of anything other than being propelled by something more than myself. I went down to the lake, and I didn't find these guys. They found me. They were drawn to me. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, drew them to me, and they prayed something into me that night. I was a passive observer of what it was that was happening in my life. And something mighty happened that day. It was not the holy book being put into my head. It was the Holy Spirit being put in my life. Okay? And everything that had happened after that, all of that stagnation and everything else, was because I had taken the well of living water that was bubbling up inside of me, and I turned the tap off. We have that capability. We can do that. And woe to us, woe to us, if that's what we're doing. I'm here to tell you that if if you want the fear of God put in your heart, quench his spirit. God's Holy Spirit wants to well up inside of you to become a, a fountain Of righteousness and living water that can come by no other means you can't grit your teeth hard enough and squeeze hard enough to bring fruits of the holy spirit out only he can do that i don't care how much you know i don't care if you're the church kid from all time i'm the church kid from all time it's not enough there's nothing there the end of the road is just the end of the road But if this living water is welling up inside of you, if it's bubbling up from inside of you, that's power for living. That is power for living. And that's what we want. That's the promise. That's the good news of the cross. That's the good news of Jesus. We bring this treasure in this jar of earthen clay, just a beat-up pipe fitter, carrying an immeasurable, immeasurable treasure around with him everywhere he goes. It's not, I can turn this on and I can turn it off. And it's ridiculous how many times I want to shut that tap off because the water's smoother that way. And you know what? I feel pretty good about myself when I am the guy doing the work. I'm not saying lay on your couch and let God do everything for you. I'm not that guy. Believe me, I'm not that guy, okay? But what I am saying is God allows us to be an active participant in his plan for our life. And that's a whole lot different than whatever I had going on before. This can happen for you too. And I'm here to tell you, this has to happen for you too, okay? Okay? This thing, this power of the Holy Spirit for living, for really living, is the only way that you're ever going to be what it is that God intended you to be. You can, you can, you can go to school until the cows come home, okay? You can make a lot of money, okay? You can have really smart, really intelligent, high-achieving children, okay, who, who produce the cutest grandchildren in the history of grandchildren, because I've got all of that. <laughs> Nine of them. Pretty awesome. There's no there there. The only thing that can bring satisfaction, the only thing that can bring satisfaction is the presence of the living God in our lives. Yes. There's, a, there's a passage of scripture that I'd like to read. It's found in the third chapter of Philippians. And again, I'm reading from the message because, you know, I'm, it's a paraphrase, but Whatever. He tears it loose here, okay, and says real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads to work away at this ministry, filling the air with Christ's praise as we do it. We couldn't carry this off by our own efforts, and we know it, even though we can list what many might think are impressive credentials. You know my pedigree. A legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, strict and devout, adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my own religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's book, blah, 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 the very credentials these people are waving around with something special, I'm tearing up and throwing in the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all things I once thought were so important are gone from my life, compared to the highest privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. It's dog-dog. This is the Bible, folks. It's dog dung. I've dumped it in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ. God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally, Experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted that too. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I haven't made, but I'm well on my way. I'm reaching out for Christ has wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal. Where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. And I'm often So let's keep focused on that goal those of us who want everything that God has to offer for us if any of you have something else in mind something less in mind God will clear your you vision too you'll see